This is Golf Talk Canada, Canada's only nationally syndicated golf talk radio and TV program. Presented by Acura. Launch into performance with the all-new 2019 lineup. Visit Acura.ca for all models and dealer incentives. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sakino and Bob Weeks. Good morning and welcome inside Golf Talk Canada. This is a special best-of edition of the show. Producer Adam Scully riding solo here for the next two hours as we're going to do a bit of a recap of the last couple months in the world of golf. We're going to look back at the major championship season on the men's side of the game. Look at the Masters, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, and of course the Open Championship that just happened a few weeks ago. We're also going to hear from Brooke Henderson, who's getting ready for the CP Women's Open uh, later this month at Magna Golf Club. And we'll hear from Adam Hadwin, a reflection on the year that's been so far for him. But first, we're going to start our major championship recap portion of the show with a look back at the Masters. Uh, The Masters was, was epic for the ages. Bob, when we look back and think about the Masters, can you put in the words now, several months later, Looking back, what was going through your mind when you were when you came to the realization that Tiger Woods was actually going to win? When you said at that moment, "Oh my God, this is happening!" Well, it was um, <clears throat> it was a lot of weird stuff about that Sunday. First, and, and the biggest mm-hmm. part was the fact that they teed off at seven in the morning. Yeah, and three. That was weird because you didn't really usually you know those those days you have sort of a build up of the day. You're thinking about things. You're putting things together. You're. I usually what I do is I take the top guys who I think have a chance, and I'll make a whole bunch of notes on every one of them so I'm prepared for whatever should happen. And that day, you, you almost couldn't. You had to you sort of scramble a little bit to get that. And then watching it unfold, um, I, I wasn't sure that Tiger was going to win at the start of the day, and then things just started to kind of fall into place. And, and you know, I never expected Molinari to hit it in the water, and I never expected Finau to hit it in the water. I never expected Brooks Kepka. Kepka. You know, all those kind of little things that sort of fell away, and then all of a sudden, you're, you like you said, you sort of stood there and and you realize, like I remember looking at, over at James Duffy, and I said, this is going to happen. He's really going to do this. And that's where it kind of, you slap yourself in the face to sort of make sure you're not dreaming, because that's yeah. what it was like. Yeah, it, it was, there was a surrealness to like the whole thing where you're looking like, oh, like you're looking around going, okay, hold on, wake up now, but you're not. You could feel, you could like feel it in the dream. crowd, too. You could feel the yeah. crowd, this buzz that came out throughout Everywhere, like especially after 12, when they right. got through 12, mm-hmm. you could feel that people were thinking, yeah, this is going to happen. This right. is going to happen. Uh, Scully, what about for you? Like, obviously, Bob and I, we, lo- we love golf. Uh, you know, we've been in it a long time. Bob's covered you know, tons of Tigers majors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at your age, you grew up with a relationship to Tiger very different than Bob and I. Uh, you grew up with a relationship to Tiger maybe the way Bob grew up with Jack. Or uh, Tom Watson. I don't know who was your favorite player uh, uh, as a younger Bob Weeks. Bob, when you were when you were Scully's age, who did you gravitate? Oh, to? Jack was my guy. Jack was sure. your guy, right? Jack was the guy. Right for me, uh, it was always Greg Norman as a kid, and then in the nineties, uh, you know, as a as a teenager, uh, a guy in my twenties, I loved Phil. He was the lefty. I loved the way he played. It was I was always a Phil Mickelson guy. But you grew up with Tiger with a different attachment, through a different lens. Mm-hmm. How, like, what was it like for you to see basically a resurrection of maybe what you would call a childhood idol to a certain degree? It was, to put it simply, it was spine tingling. Hmm. It was incredible. It, you know, to to sort of take a look back at all he's gone through. 
you know, everything off the golf course, being 1,199th in the world. And we had the pleasure, Mark and I, uh, we we hosted that uh, yep. special that morning yes. on GTC, and then they teed off eight minutes after we were off the air. And um, watching his veteran experience, watching him plot around that golf course, watching him say after his round that he knew the angle of attack Brooks Kepka took on the 12th tee that he, that he had a 9-iron, not an 8-iron, and then Tiger sort of pitched this 8-iron on, onto that 12th tee, or 12th green, I should say. Uh, it, was, it was unbelievable. It was something I was optimistic would happen again. I didn't, I don't, did I really believe he was going to win the Masters again? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember uh, I was here working that day, and I, I got home and was doing other things, watched the press conference, and then I, I watched the final putt, and then the, everything that ensued after, and I started to cry. Mm-hmm. It was ten, it was it was eight hours later. I'm like, oh my god, like yeah. like what is happening right now? But it was just it was an unbelievable moment. Like we've mentioned, not even in golf, in sports, just as as a human to to think he's gone through so much. He's gone so far, and now he's at the top of the mountain again. It was, it was, it was amazing. Before we move on from Tiger, because uh, there's a Kepka story here that no one, for some reason, ever, we, no one talks about. But Bob, does this, if this is the, if that's the last time he ever wins, which I don't think it is, but if it's the last time he ever wins, does this fix the legacy? Is this the happy ending? Are we all, everybody's okay with this now? And did the legacy need to be fixed? Uh, yeah, if Ooh. 10 years from now, like Tiger's wrapped it up and we know he's done, this to me is kind of like his Jack in 86 moment, mm-hmm. right? This is the one where people said he's never going to come back, he's never going to win. I mean, you know, we had had him retiring, we had him yep. doing all sorts of things, never, you know, have, never... Owning you know, a chain of Perkins back. restaurants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think you could look back and say this was the most unlikely of his victories mm-hmm. just because of where he came from and everything he's been through. And, and, you know, not, you can go way back to the, the, the fateful Thanksgiving day or you can go up to the point where he got arrested on the DUI. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's all those kind of things, to me, this, is, this doesn't make up for it. But this makes it more unlikely that he would ever get back and, and get into this spot. So it could be. I, I, I don't know if we're all said and done yet, but if we are, then this is sort of that, that great moment, that final bit of icing on the cake. And do you think the legacy needed this? Because of the things you just outlined? Unlike it, Jack, you know, I don't didn't know need it, this polish? Yeah. I don't know if it needed it, but it sure makes it better. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Same to you, Adam. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's great that this happened, and it was it's ice, uh, not icing on the cake, but you know, to go from where he was at 32 years old with 14 majors, we thought 18 was inevitable, and then it took however long it did to get to number 15. Um, but for Tiger, you know, looking at I, I've looked at this as the evolution of his golf game and how he's evolved from last year to this year. And we remember last year he had two great chances to win major championships down the stretch. He had the lead on Sunday at the Open Championship uh, on the 11th and 12th hole and, and, and missed the fairway on both holes with a, a long iron. Made bogey, double bogey. His chances were over. Go to the PGA Championship. That 17th hole at Bell Reve, par 5, hits this huge block slice uh, on a par 5, makes par. Then we go to the Masters this year, where if you look back in 2005, when he sunk that heroic chip from behind the green, he then went bogey-bogey on 17 and 18 at Augusta, forcing a playoff. But what did he do this year? He blasted a high cut right down the middle, 176-mile-an-hour ball speed. And he mentioned before that week, learning how to win again. At the Tour, at the tour Championship, he learned how to win again. And that was all about learning to win I said that for majors. a year last year, yeah. that he was like a guy trying to win for the first time. 
because it's been so mm-hmm. long, and this was a version of Tiger, to your point, Scully, uh, of the progression of his game. This was like a Tiger 4.0, and it was like 4.0's never won before. 4.0 mm-hmm. doesn't know what they're doing mm-hmm. in this moment. 4.0 misses putts, right. you know, this sort of thing. Yeah. Another strange sort of uh, fact about uh, the Masters and, and the win. Uh, so Tiger was 12th in the world heading into that tournament. The previous five Masters winners, their average world ranking was 12th. So very interesting to see how that, that worked out. Okay, question for you guys: change change this uh, change the second half of this Masters conversation and steer it back to the Open Championship. Brooks Kepka wins the U.S. Open 2018. Brooks Kepka wins the PGA Championship 2018. Okay, uh, Brooks Kepka wins. Brooks Kepka hits it in Rays Creek on Sunday, and still has a nine ten foot putt which probably would have put him in a playoff on the 72nd hole and misses that. That puck goes in. Maybe it's Tiger Kepka playoff, okay? Comes back, wins PGA Championship, all right, at Bethpage Black, which was pretty much a parade except for, like, you know, 60 minutes of a broadcast on Sunday. It was a parade. Has a chance to win the Open Championship. Pushes Gary Wood, uh, U.S. Open Championship, Pell Beach. Pushes it to the very end. Basically, we haven't seen in two years. It feels like we haven't seen a major championship that Brooks Kepka hasn't had a chance to win. It's that obvious. Why are we not all standing on top of a mountain screaming Brooks Kepka's the favorite at the Open Championship? Um. Good question. I mean, really, I, I just don't think that we we think of him as playing that kind of golf on on a, on a Lynx style of golf course. But if you look at his record, it's pretty darn good. Okay, yeah. so question. So if this wasn't the Open Championship, say it was the PGA coming up next, and we were traditionally moving into August for the last spot, would we, would we be standing on the top of a mountain, Bob, screaming Brooks Kepka? Is the Lynx aspect of the Open Championship the thing, the only thing preventing you? Or if this was on a traditional North American golf course, would you be screaming Brooks Kepka? Yeah, probably. I probably would. I mean, you look at his record, he's got a a, 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 a tie for 10th and a tie for 6th in, in his appearances at the Open Championship. So I just think his game is almost bulletproof. And for some ways, it's almost like we're saying... I don't want him to win again. I want somebody else to win again, which is kind of That's weird. That's a big compliment, though. You're right. and it is, it's, it's, is the, so it's the New England Patriots compliment. Yeah, right? I guess. And uh, he's every time he tees it up in a major, you've got to give him a chance to win. It's just He's just that good right now, and he's that mentally strong that he can do that. But I, I, maybe the follow-up there is, if this Open Championship was at Troon or was at St. Andrews, it was at a course that isn't really that much of an unknown that players have been to before, would we still be having this conversation? I wouldn't be having this conversation necessarily if it was at St. Andrews. Because we know St. Andrews traditionally over the years is a bomber's paradise. Mm-hmm. So if you go to St. Andrews, it's very similar to going to Bethpage, certainly the way they've set up Bethpage. You know, who are the bombers? Mm-hmm. Who are the best five drivers of the golf ball in the world? And typically, not always, but typically at St. Andrews, Tiger, Daly, Nicholas, uh, Kepka could dominate St. Andrews with his driver the way Tiger Woods did it, you know, mm-hmm. in the early mm-hmm. 2000s, where you just you know, play four days and never hit a bunker because you take them all out of play by taking them over. So I think certainly at, at the old course, we'd have that conversation. True, and I don't think so, Bob. At True, and I think we're still having this conversation. I think any other open championship golf course, other than the old course, I think we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. I think I think uh, you know being being a big bomber isn't necessarily as big an advantage on this kind of a golf course as yeah. it is compared to the other three. Hundred percent. So I think that's the one thing that you can look at. But again, he'll sit there and say, "Well, then I can only I only have to hit 
five iron, where some guys will have to hit three wood or something like that. So it, it plays out. I mean, the last four major championships Brooks Kepka has played, he's gone first, second, first, right. second. What an unbelievable moment in golf and in sport. Tiger Woods comes back from it all, a 15-time major champion. It's still hard to believe that that moment happened, but Tiger Woods did it his fifth career green jacket. On the other side, we're going to turn our attention to the PGA Championship at Bethpage Black, the first time the PGA Championship moving back to May. What would unfold? We'll discuss that after the break. This is GTC. This segment of GTC was brought to you by Acura. Launch into performance with the all-new 2019 lineup. Visit Acura.ca for all models and dealer incentives. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Acura. This segment of GTC is brought to you by TaylorMade and the speed-injected Twistface M5 and M6 drivers. Everybody gets faster in 2019. Visit TaylorMade.ca for more information or to book your custom fitting today. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sacchino and Bob Weeks. Welcome back inside GTC. This is a special best of edition of the show. Producer Adam Scully riding solo here for the next couple hours. Coming up in hour two, we're going to hear from Brooke Henderson as she gets set to defend her title at the CP Women's Open. That's coming up later this month at Magna Golf Club. But first, we're going to continue our look back at the 2019 major season on the men's side. We just did the Masters in our last segment, Tiger Woods, now a 15-time major championship, major champion, I should say. And now it's time to move to the PGA Championship, which was held in May at Bethpage Black. Do I like the PGA moving to May? Yes. I thought there was a lot of things lining up. And I love Bethpage Black. But guys, that golf course from the day from the moment you saw the setup, before we knew it, the PGA Championship at Bethpage was a slightly gentler setup than what a US Open has looked like at Bethpage. Not much. Slightly slightly gentler. It was a huge ballpark. It was who could hit it 320 down the middle. It, it felt like it felt like four or five guys, certainly Kepka, DJ, and Rory were the top three, and then maybe you find a Woodland, one other guy in the in the in that can play that golf course. To me, the PGA championship this year almost felt like I hate to say this, but it's it's like everything that I don't want to see in our in our major championships anymore. I don't want to see 140 people peg it up with 135 of them playing catch up before the tournament even starts. Uh, it felt like a parade. I know it got a little tight on uh, on the backside at Sunday, but Bob, who did it get tight with at the back nine at Sunday? Yeah, DJ, Too one of the it. other top two or three guys that had a chance to win. Yeah, I didn't care for it. Did nothing for me. Congratulations to Kepka, proving once again he's the best player in the world. I don't need more of that. It was uh, it was all sort of a precipice for me when you got saw the first hole, which is a you tee off from above. Mm-hmm. It's a four hundred and thirty yard. Dog leg right, and I stood up there. I can't remember who the player was. It might have been Harold Varner actually, in a practice round, and he stood up there and took an aim aim at this hole. And I thought he's going to hit it into the trees, and he went right over. And he was like thirty yards in front of the green. <laughs> and I just thought after that, man, if you don't, if you can't hit it, you know, three hundred or two sixty and two seventy in the air, then you have no chance here this week because these guys were just ripping it 
all apart. There was a, it was a small group of players that you knew could contend. And if there's anything other than Brooks Kepka um, that I learned about the PGA Championship that year, it's how to say jazz, Jenna, what, and nod. That's about it. That's about it. I mean, wow. it was just it was the big bombers and jazz, Jenna, what, and nod. Are you yeah. worried that they're continuing that direction? Not really. I mean, you look at the future sites right now. Uh, next year, TPC Harding Park, which is a bit a bit of a bigger ballpark, from what I understand. Yeah. But then you go to Oak Hill, yeah. which is um, a similar style, of course, to Bethpage, but I don't think it's going to be quite as long. Mm-hmm. You got Valhalla, which is well known. Then you got Aronimic in golf, you know, which we've seen in uh, FedEx Cup. So there's a few more traditional golf courses built into there. So I think there's always going to be big bomber courses because that's. What's available? So, it's also where the game is else. gone. Yeah, um, but it's it would be nicer if we had some more Hamiltons and we had some more uh, Marions, Marions, places like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scully to you. Yeah, you know, for me that week got up to a very interesting start with Brooks Kepka's press conference, and you know, mm-hmm. he he came out and, and said, you know, there's really only 30 guys you have to beat this week, and you know, we mentioned maybe there's only five guys you really have to beat with the right. distance. But he's not lying to come out yeah. and, and have the stones to right. say that. Uh, it, Good on him, really, you know, yeah. to, to have that cockiness and an inner belief to come out and do it. And then that front nine, he, you know, after one hole, he was playing with Tiger and Molinari. And after one hole, he was three shots up on Tiger. He sunk a 50 foot bomb on the first hole, and Tiger airmailed a wedge from 86 yards or whatever it was. And that was sort of the tournament right there in a nutshell. He, his, his front nine was just so good. And, um, but the, the golf course itself, yeah, it was a bomber's paradise. Uh, the, the, the weather wasn't, too hot. It wasn't too. It was sort of right in the middle, and 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 that rough was very penal, and, and that's where I was surprised to see. You know, Jordan Spieth had a, had a brief little appearance near the top of the near the top of the leaderboard, uh, but I mean, Kepka just dominated, and it was a seven shot lead going into Sunday, and it brief, briefly got close, um, but uh, good on him for doing it again. It, it was our first uh, PGA Championship seen in May. I know like the venues have been selected now moving forward, and those venues were selected and highlighted before we knew that the championship was, was moving to May. Moving forward, thinking long picture now down the road with this new May date, do you think we start to see some southern destinations, Bob, for the PGA Championship? Can we see a PGA back in, in Florida for the first time in like a gazillion years? Well, I think what it does is it just gives them so many more possibilities to places that they never could have it before because it would just be too, too darn hot. But yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, they're, I'm just looking right now. They're actually booked up right now through, if you can believe this, through 2031. Oh my! Of course. Now I know in the back end, there's a couple of holes in there, but well, there, there, there's the back end of uh, they are building a new PGA of America headquarters in the San Francisco mm-hmm. area, which right. is going to be a tremendous facility. And I know they've pegged that location for and, a future and date. 2025 has not been decided, but they've got sites. You know, 23, 24, 26, 27, 28, 29, 31, 34 is going to be at that new place in Frisco, Texas, and they want to go to Southern Hills, which is mm-hmm. the yep. you know down in, and I've been to a. a mm-hmm. Tournament there before I can't remember it was the U.S. Open, in and it was like the most ridiculously hot place I've ever been. So if you yeah. go there on a nice golf course when it's a little more temperate, yeah, it'd be great. Do you think we'll ever see a major championship in the desert? And if it is, it would be the PGA. Do you think we'll ever see a desert uh, major? Doubtful, I don't think we will. Doubtful. 
No, I don't think so either. Think interesting, so either. though. Be, it would, be, interesting. be. It would be because it's just never happened. Florida makes sense for me. Yeah. One thing I am curious with the PGA, and, you know, obviously, you know, the, the Masters is known for its history, the Open Championship, the conditions, the U.S. Open gen- generally, you know, a great test of golf. The PGA sort of doesn't have this. There's I, no identity. There's no identity. Yeah. What if you were to always, obviously you can't do this past 2034, but what if you were to always have it somewhere you know, in the Pacific time zone where you're always playing golf in prime time for the PGA. Could maybe that be some sort of an identity? Just something different? I don't know. Just, yeah, prime time golf. You know, it's a, it's a hard struggle. That's a tough one, too, because now you're really narrowing your, for sure. your, that, that your is, yeah. opportunities of where you can put it. I don't know if they could plus, ever pitch Plus, you battle sometimes with the U.S. Open into, into markets that are close enough where you're selling against each other. Right. You know, they, they talk to each other. They, they look where they, everyone mm-hmm. else is going. They look at what other big events are going around there. And to me, you know, if you could ever get something in the Pacific Northwest that was not Chambers Bay, that was a decent golf course, you could own that. Well, let me throw one at you then here, because this has just popped into my head, and uh, and to Scully's point with identity. Uh, U.S. Open has a rota, and it moves around the country because it's a national championship. The the Open Championship has a rota because it's an Open Championship, and in their mind, a global championship, so it moves around the U.K. Okay, The Masters is run by a private club, founded by Bobby Jones, and it stays there in the same place every year. Does the PGA of America need to have a rota? Can the PGA of America, if they're building this facility, which would be in prime time because it's in San Francisco, and if this facility is as good as what they say it's going to be, let's say it opens to rave reviews. Let's say everyone falls in love with this new resort, this new home of the PGA of America in San Francisco, which is pegged to host in the next 10 years or so, is as good as what they say. Does the PGA Championship need to move around? Or can they host a major every year, like the Masters, at the home of the PGA? You could, but I think you'd take yourself out of a lot of, a lot of markets. And yeah. I think, you know, the one thing that the PGA has talked about, loosely, I'll, I'll I, admit, is maybe going international. I've heard this. Go outside of the United States, really? right? Yeah, because yeah, it's a PGA federation, a P- right? Imagine a PGA championship in uh, Tokyo right. or somewhere like that. Like right. That would be kind of an interesting Fascinating. Concept. Well, if you want to find identity, Bob, that's a perfect way to do it because there's the Federation of PGA uh, Associations. Yeah. And make your, the, make your major the only major that is continental jumping major. Like there's really jumping continents, countries, et cetera, and, and tipping your hat to other federations. Got to be careful with the TV time slot. You need that yeah. American TV time slot. So you got to be careful how far you go and when you go. So that's part of it. It's interesting there. But hey, you want to look for identity. You want to look for flavor. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, hundred percent. But that'd be fascinating. Just thinking about that in Tokyo or somewhere. Yeah, but uh, you know, I, I will say before I know we're running out of time. But one of the stranger moments I did see at this year's PGA, it happened with John Rahm, and it happened on on the Friday. And uh, Dustin Johnson was lining up a shot, and all you see at the back of of the camera frame was John Rahm running through the shot. Going by a tree mm-hmm. and needing to uh, to do some business, and yep. I, I don't recall ever seeing that. One of the more, more bizarre images of 2019. Certainly. Yeah, that was yeah. one of the weirder things I think I've ever seen on a on a telecast. It was bizarre. 
pretty amazing victory for Brooks Kepka, four-time major champion. And he started the week with some pretty bold comments saying that he only really has to beat 30 guys in the field because basically everyone else plays themselves uh, out of it, out of the mix. Uh, Brooks Kepka, uh, certainly a, a remarkable victory. He got closer than a lot of us thought it would. Dustin Johnson put a bit of a charge after Kepka made four consecutive bogeys on that back nine on Sunday as the conditions got worse. But then, of course, Kepka pulled through and is now a four-time major champion. He's on a run here in the major championships that we haven't seen really in quite some time. A pretty impressive victory, uh, that's for sure. Speaking of Kepka, coming up after the break, Kepka going for the three-peat at the U.S. Open. We're going to recap the season's third major at Pebble Beach. That's coming up after the break. This is a special best-of edition of GTC. This segment of GTC, presented by Acura, was brought to you by TaylorMade and the speed-injected Twist Face M5 and M6 drivers. Everybody gets faster in 2019. Visit TaylorMade.ca for more information or to book your custom fitting today. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Acura. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Tourism Ireland, home of the 2019 Open Championship. Visit GolfAwayTours.com to book your Irish golf adventure. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sacchino and Bob Weeks. Welcome back to our special Best of Edition of GTC. Producer Adam Scully riding solo here on this lovely morning. Now that August is here uh, across uh, the golfing world, it's, uh, we're in the heat of summer. And with that being said, we're going to continue our major championship recap uh, here on Golf Talk Canada. We just did the Masters, the PGA Championship. And now it's time for a look back at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. For me, when the U.S. Open visits Pebble Beach... It's similar to when the Open Championship for me visits St. Andrews. It's a special place. It means more. You know, Nicholas won at Pebble. Tiger won at Pebble. Uh, it might be the prettiest uh, place in the world for golf. It's certainly up there, and it's certainly the pretty, maybe the prettiest spot in North America. And Gary Woodland, Bob, finally, <laughs> finally, the time that you and I don't take him, gets it done at a golf course that... Uh, there really wasn't a woodland setup, really. I don't, you know, I don't think. Uh, let's put it this way: Pebble Beach was open for anyone to win, yep. and the, maybe the best player that week took advantage of it, and he looked like he was in a coma for four days. You know, it's it, like you said; it's one of those things we've been waiting for for a long time. And I remember two years ago at the Open Championship, talking to Gary Woodland about how he was so frustrated with his putting that he took a mid-tournament putting lesson from Phil Canyon, and ever since then he's kind of worked on rounding out his game. We knew he was a big hitter. We knew he could drive it in the fairway, but I think once he kind of committed to saying, "Okay, I got to, I got to pull everything together, and I got to believe in myself," which is a lot. It's a simple thing. It's that we always say that. Oh, you got to believe. believe yourself. You, gotta, you can say it, but it has to be internalized. Yeah, and I think once he got over that part, I think that was the big difference for Gary Woodland. And it was fun to watch him play. It was fun to see him and uh, Brandon Little, our good pal, um, kind of combine along the along the the final stretch there and that 14th hole where he pulled the three wood at at, at Brennan's urging um you know those kind of things to me are, are set the difference and again it's just one of those nice guys you like to see a guy like Gary Woodland win because he's done, gone through so much personally mm -hmm. and also he's just he's just a, a friendly guy you just like to see him yeah. your friends it's win a great, he's a, what he's been through people love him on tour it's great it's funny 
because uh, Adam and I, you know, we played golf uh, in the last couple of weeks. We played golf together, and there was a few occasions, Adam, where uh, we were on the green at Cedar Bray, but we were on the wrong side of the green. We had a little fringe <laughs> and a little rough interfering with our line between our ball and the flag. Yep. And we both said to each other a couple times in one day, oh, we might have to Gary Woodland this, which is now known <laughs> as the, the, the pitch Woodland. from the green will always yes. be the Gary Woodland. Well, and, and pretty wild, too, that he had the shot earlier in the week as well. And, and you know, to have the stones to pull that off under pressure and to nearly hold the shot. Yeah. And just the, the difficulty of how, how crisp you have to hit that shot. It was... Just an unbelievable shot under pressure. Certainly one of our shots of the year for sure. He actually said that when he was learning and practicing his short game with Pete Cowan, he said that Pete had him doing that as a drill to try and pick the ball clean with his wedges just to work on contact. So he said it wasn't something that was unusual to him. And then again, there again, you know, preparation is uh, makes makes all the sense in the world when you get a shot like that. Fascinating. Uh, other than uh, Gary Woodland's performance, other than Brooks Kepka. Again, having a chance to win a major championship, other than Tiger Woods looking completely unprepared again. And these are themes, like that's a theme. The two themes of the majors for me this year Kapka has a chance to win everything mm-hmm. if he cares. And Tiger's been completely unprepared since he won a green jacket. Like, you couldn't find two polar opposites of how you get ready for a major. Kapka is so finely tuned with how he gets ready for a major championship, the extra time involved the team in place, who he brings to a major, how they approach it. He's got a system on how he approaches majors that is a little overwhelming. I think it's a little overwhelming to the point that he can only do it three, four, five times a year, or it becomes too much, but it works for him. Tiger, since Augusta, the complete opposite. It's like how not to get ready for a major championship or how not to necessarily, I don't want to say care, I hate to use the word care, but it feels that way. Other than those two themes throughout the year, and other than those two themes clashing once again at the U.S. Open, for me, I'll remember the U.S. Open as a success for Fox Television. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, it was a good broadcast, a clean broadcast, huge improvements. And I, I know Fox is always trying different things, like microphones in the cup, and they've tried crazy things over the years. But the drone footage of seeing those majestic holes along the cliffs of Pebble Beach from all those new angles to me, I mean, I love them. I went, wow, I've never seen the seventh, the, the, the greatest short par three in the world, probably. You know, you go, uh, to me, it's number one. You go, obviously, uh, 12 at Augusta, postage stamp, mm-hmm. uh, 17 at Sawgrass. Those are probably the four greatest short par fours in the world. I've never seen the seventh, Bob, from behind, over the player's head. And we got to see all the great cliffside holes. And I know Scully... You were the first person out of the three of us to go, wow, this is a win for Fox. Well, I, I really believe it's the best broadcast I've seen all year. I, from I really, any golf. From any, from any golf, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, one of the other things was their moving pro tracer technology as well. It was only on a couple holes, and I believe it was the sixth hole, the par five, where the camera would actually move and you could see the ball flight in the air at the same time. Uh, the, the mics in the cup, that was another really cool thing, especially because you could hear the players, whether they were just grunting or maybe the odd swear word here or there, or you know uh, just a couple of words of wisdom. It, it was just pretty funny to see. And, and you mentioned the mics, and there are more microphones in the golf course, and that goes to the, the infamous now uh, Spieth and Greller spat. <laughs> You know, going back and forth and how Jordan was calling out Greller for saying, you know, he had two good shots. He put me in the water here and over the green there. 
You know, not like Jordan hasn't won on that golf course before, hasn't played it a million times, but the Fox broadcast did an excellent job. I think so too, Bob. Do you feel? I know you didn't get this. Did you get to see much of it? Because you're in a you different environment s- at that point. You than, got to see a lot. You didn't get to hear a lot of it. To right. be perfectly honest right. with you, but I will say that you know what's what stuns stuns me was it's the that's the fifth. It's the fifth year that Fox has been on there. Yeah, it's surprise. I, I thought, man, it's like maybe the third or something. But they've really improved their game Since for sure. They've stepped it up. It's made it fun to watch. Made it different to watch. I'm not a big fan of the mics and the cups because when a ball drops into the hole, it sounds like <laughs> sounds like it's dropping into the middle of my head. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm but some of the stuff they picked up, and not and the other one they picked up with, with Jordan Spieth was when he hit the rake. Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah. Bunker, yeah. Oh, know, there's a rake kind, there. Kind of things. Yeah. Right. And there were some good conversations between uh, caddies and players that I think. Uh, make it a little more. It's, mm-hmm. it's sort of like to me. Reminds me of curling, which which really blossomed when they put the microphones on the players, and you could get an inside um, thought of what they were thinking about, what they were planning to do before they did it. Same mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, in this vein, Bob, in the same vein as to the win for Fox, I think you know I I have to give a win to the USGA. USGA got out of the way, and uh, listen, they let uh, Mother Nature do a lot of the work here. And I know some people were critical, which, you know, you're always going to have those people, oh, the score was too low for U.S. Open. Listen, that course was set up properly. USGA got out of the way. They didn't shoot themselves in the foot. The sun comes out at Pebble, and the winds get up. That score gets cut in half, maybe more. So I think the USGA, a big win, great job. I'd love to see more of what we just saw about mm-hmm. For sure. And, you know, we talked about all these courses that are getting ripped apart. Pebble Beach is not a long golf course, for mm-hmm. sure. And yet, if you look on Sunday, um, you know, how many guys broke par? Not very many guys broke par. And you look, a lot of guys backed up uh, on that leaderboard, with the exception, obviously, Gary Woodland. But, but he only shot two under on the, to win, you know. So it's, it's, uh, it proved a good test, fun test. I agree. Yeah, I agree. It, was, it was awesome to see us not complaining, you know, about the USGA. How it's it's been a focal point for you know years on the show, just about how how they've messed up another core setup. But this was just perfect, yeah. you know. And yeah, it, the scores might have been a little low, but you know, it's the same thing. Nobody's nobody's talking about oh, well, the scores were too low though, right? Yeah, exa- no, exactly, no, exactly. One and it was close. It's it was the fun. same thing, you know. Like Aaron Hill is a, a, right. allegedly, if the wind blew, you know, the scores would have been you know half or much less of that. But and, it was a great time. And like the PGA Championship, the next few years of the U.S. Open and their venues are very traditional and putting themselves in a really good position to continue this trend of successes. Next year we'll go to Wingfoot, which is an you know after Pebble. You know, that might be the, the, the most historic U.S. Open venue. Like, you go, okay, Pebble, and then where do you go next? Maybe Wingfoot, Shinnecock. If you're thinking of the Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. of U.S. Open golf, it's probably Pebble Beach, Wingfoot, Shinnecock, and Oakmont. Yeah. I got to think, in my mind, those yep. are the four mm-hmm. Mount Everest of U.S. Open golf. We'll go to Wingfoot next year, and we'll go to Wingfoot, guys, a week after the RBC Canadian Open at St. George's. Toronto to New York. I think we have Major a huge win. success <laughs> at Hamilton this year. I think we're having another one next year for the RBC. Yeah, 100%. What do you guys say? Good one oh. next year coming? I think so, too. Could be big. Could be huge. An impressive victory for Gary Woodland, now a U.S. Open champion. Uh, that shot he hit on the 17th green off the green with a wedge will be remembered for quite some time. Gary Woodland uh, picks up his first career major uh, championship. Speaking of first career major championships, Shane Lowry, what a moment that was, winning the Open Championship at Royal Portrush. We're going to discuss that moment next. This is a special best of edition of Golf Talk Canada. 
This segment of GTC presented by Acura was brought to you by Tourism Ireland, home of the 2019 Open Championship. Visit GolfAwayTours.com to book your Irish golf adventure. Talk Canada, presented by Acura. This segment of Golf Talk Canada is brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories, including DigiFit Floor Liner, the most advanced concept in floor protection today. Visit weathertech.ca. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Zacchino and Bob Weeks. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada, our special best of edition of the show. Producer Adam Scully riding solo here this morning. We're going to wrap up our one of the show with our final recap of the men's major championships this season. The Open Championship at Royal Port Rush, where Shane Lowry came out on top. All right, Bob, let's start with uh, a comment you made off the top, because I think I kind of know where you're getting. And the word that I'm going to use is celebration, because you said that, uh, that this might be your favorite Open Championship you've ever attended. And I get the sensation from yourself and everyone that I've spoken to that were able to cover this event or be a part of this event in person, that it really felt like a celebration of Irish golf and a celebration of the Open Championships itself and its return. Is that an accurate kind of description or vibe of what this week was like? Yeah, and I think, you know, if you, you can put out a checklist of what you want to happen or what you hope to achieve by hosting one of these things, and I think these people just hit on every one of them. And, and the first part to me is that this is a town of 7,200 people, Port Rush. And you take the surrounding area where Port Stewart and some of those other places, and it might be triple that. And, and to pull off uh, an event that's the size of this, um, the logistical um, hurdles they had to get through, it was, it was basically flawless. There was never a traffic jam. Um, there was restaurants you could get into and, and, and all those kind of things that happened after and around it. The parking wasn't a problem. And for me, anyway, that that was number one. Number two was that you got some good Irish weather. You got got some of that rain. You got some cold. You got some wind, which is what you want. You don't want it to be all baked out. You don't want to see guys wearing uh, short sleeves unless they're Irish and it's minus five and they don't seem to really care about it. And then and then to have an Irishman in the running and to win it was just spectacular. So um, put all that together with the golf course itself, you know, this was this was just a win on so many levels and it was so much fun. And and so much, um, I guess, celebration is the word again. Mark is is just it was just a huge uh, accomplishment that came off flawlessly. And speaking of celebrating, Shane Lowry, he's been doing his fair share uh, of celebrating, <laughs> uh, enjoying a few pints of Guinness uh, for sure. But you know, those conditions on the Sunday, uh, as Justin Thomas put it, were as bad as he's ever played. And and for Lowry to shoot that round of of a one over par, Bob, is that one of the better rounds you've seen all season? Uh, it's certainly one of the better rounds I've seen all season. One of the better rounds I've seen kind of in bad weather at an open. I remember Ricky Fowler, uh, the last time we were at St. George's, played and shot like 65. Mm -hmm. He wasn't even in contention, but he shot 65, I think, on the Saturday. It was unbelievable. Uh, the weather, you're right, though, Adam, it was. I mean, you were camped out somewhere. I think I texted you in the morning. You were camped out somewhere where they were serving the Guinness in a, on a warm, and you were sitting on a warm stool somewhere, and I said, "Yes, you're a, you're a smart man. <laughs> I mean, it was just coming in sideways. We, we bailed early. My cameraman, Dean Willers, and I kind of 
headed for the media center once we saw the storm rolling in. Mm-hmm. And if it was any golf course around here, if it was, if it was Weston or Bayview or, or uh, uh, the Hunt Club, you know, the, the, the course would have been empty. The bar would have been full, but the course would have been <laughs> empty. That's, that's all you can say. Uh, Bob, my winner this week was Rory McIlroy because of the way he handled... I guess I don't the embarrassment uh, and the way he missed the cut probably the largest disappointment of his career I'm assuming not being able to play the all four rounds and be in contention in this championship but I thought uh, just the way he handled himself uh, afterwards the, the way he, the, the statement he made on social media and then also being able to to reach out to Shane Lowry and give him words of encouragement and 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 kind of wish him luck uh, and suggest that he hopes he's drinking out of the claret jug instead of in Memphis uh, uh, you know, playing golf, etc. The, the the Twitter exchange they had on Friday, but at the same time, I don't want to give Rory a pass. Uh, Brandel Chambly, I don't think that's fair. You don't win majors by eight shots and call yourself a choke. He's not a choke. How do you make sense of this? I am starting to lean just so that because you and I have not had a lot of chance to discuss this. I'm starting to look at Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy and seeing a lot of similarities. And with the exception of a few holes at Bethpage, it was an extremely disappointing uh, uh, major season for DJ as well as Rory. And the one common thing they have on the bag is that they don't have a veteran caddy on the bag. They don't have a psychologist on the bag. They don't have a therapist on the bag. We saw what Shane Lowry did with Bo Martin, how he used Bo Martin as a therapist to win the Open Championship. Are these guys missing something, and do they need to make some serious uh, decisions and a serious look at the camp? Yeah, there's there's certainly a lot to unpack there. I, I think I think the expectations on both those guys are so high that if they don't win, it's it's a loss. If that makes sense, you know, you can finish top five, top ten. Um, if you are uh, another player in in the field somewhere, and you're you're probably going to say, "Wow, that was pretty good." But for those two guys. You know, you expect them to win, and when they don't, then something is is clearly wrong, or we're looking for something. I think that opening tee shot for me, for Rory, kind of summed up a little bit about what this whole week was. Now, there was a little bit of wind coming out of the right, and it was easy if you got it going the wrong way to kind of ride that wind and push the ball out of there. We can debate internal out of bounds at another time. Yeah, uh, to, because to me, what, that, yeah. sorry about because like if if you and I go play there this week, that's not out of bounds. Yeah, no, so, exactly, exactly right. So I think it's sort of a. I think it's kind of silly, to be perfectly honest. There's enough penalty in that rough there, to be perfectly honest, when you see it. But I, I think for Rory, in this particular case, this was almost, to me, it wasn't a choke. It was, as Brandel Chambly called it, I think it was more of a situation where he was just trying too hard. And it's easy to see why, when you were there and on the grounds, and as we just said before about the celebration of Irish golf, like Rory wanted so badly to do so well for all these people, not necessarily for himself, I think he wanted to, to, to give these people a ride. And you could see it the next day when he did get on the run, what the reaction was. It, it harkened me back to when Brooke Henderson was playing in Ottawa two years ago, and she had to make the cut on the back nine. You would have thought she was playing for a major championship, and it was the same kind of atmosphere there. But I just think he was just trying a little bit too hard and, and out of his comfort zone in terms of, of the way he played. But you're right, going forward in the bigger picture, those two have to kind of figure out a way to get over the top because they're both too good of a player's not to have won for, you know, or, or I guess DJ's the only one who's won a major in the last five years. 
the other favorite co- uh, going into the Open Championship was Brooks Kepka, and, and he polished off just a remarkable major season going 2-1-2-4. But, Bob, he had some uh, puzzling comments at the start of the week, t- talking about how he doesn't really practice unless it's a major a championship. What were, what were your thoughts on those comments, and just as Kepka as a whole? like he, To me, he's not quite a villain, but he's... He's approaching it with his he's something that's right? He's polarizing. He's different, and I think that could potentially be a good thing for golf. What do you think, Bob? I think that uh, I think that he likes to bait the press a little bit, <laughs> uh, and I think we swallow him up pretty good. That's fair. You know, they, to, to me, like I've seen him practice. I saw him. I saw him two years ago at Glen Abbey when he missed the cut, and he was grinding on the range with his coach Claude Harmon, working things out. I think the intensity might not be there, and you know, I think rightly he gets up for majors, and certainly the more he wins, the more he does that because that's what he wants to achieve. Um, but I, I don't buy into this thing where he's not practicing in between. Otherwise, you know, he would be practicing until next April right now. <laughs> <laughs> Two hundred and sixty days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, look, he had a remarkable season in the majors. He's had a remarkable two last two seasons in the majors. And I think he's finally starting to get his due, and and I think he's finally starting to understand that doesn't matter what he says or or how he goes about it. The press will moving in a certain way with him, but I think he's starting to get the respect he deserves, which is good. Uh, Bob, I want to switch gears, but before we do, very quickly, uh, uh, J.B. Holmes, uh, and his play on Sunday, it's not that we haven't seen this before, but his reputation and being called out maybe as a slow player publicly, do you think that has anything to do with that performance, or is that just another uh, Sunday explosion from J.B. Holmes? I think that's just a round that got away from him. He didn't like playing in that weather. You could see it. He was not comfortable with it, and I think it was just one of those ones where after it started to slip away, he just gave up. And and um, the, the bad part for me is, is the other part of that. The bad part is that he was never challenged on his slow play, and to me that's as bad a bad an issue as the slow play itself. If, if it's a slow player, you got to call him on it, and if you don't call him on it, then you're just as much a criminal in this whole situation. That wraps up Hour 1 right here on GTC. On the other side, we're going to hear about Casa de Campo. We're going to go one-on-one with Brooke Henderson. Plus, we're going to hear from Adam Hadwin. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC, presented by Acura, was brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories, including DigiFit Floor Liner, the most advanced concept in floor protection today. Visit weathertech.ca. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Talk Canada for blogs, podcasts, show archives, our YouTube channel, or for more information, visit us online at golftalkcanada.com. We'll be right back with more GTC. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Acura. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach. No destination in the world can match Myrtle Beach's volume of golf, quality, and value. Come discover why Myrtle Beach is the golf capital of the world. To plan your next golf holiday, visit PlayGolfMyrtleBeach.com. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sacchino and Bob Weeks. And welcome back inside a special best of edition of Golf Talk Canada. Producer Adam Scully riding solo here for the next hour. Casa de Campo is one of our proud sponsors here on the show. And recently, Mark Sacchino had a chance to go one-on-one with their director of golf operations, Robert Bertel. Joining me now, friend of the program, we're always happy to touch base with anyone at Casa de Campo because not only are they a sponsor of Golf Talk Canada, I just love the place, love my affiliation. Uh, it's always 
so much fun when you enjoy doing business with, with the people you do business with. And I, I can't be happier to be an ambassador of Casa de Campo and the director of golf operations joining us now, Robert Bertel. Robert, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I, you know, I was down there earlier in the year and had an absolute blast. And thank you for taking the time to, to spend some time with me early in the year. And, and thanks for joining me now to kind of do a, a, a bit of a wrap of, of the season that was at Casa de Campo and, and maybe some of the changes or what's coming in the fall. So thanks for taking the time today. Sure, Mark. Happy to Happy to be with you. Uh, now, Robert, the last time I was there, uh, there was quite the event. But before we get to the event, I, I need to bring up a little bit of the elephant in the room because you know, I've been very vocal over the last several weeks and months about some of the, the fake news, I call it, coming out of uh, Casa de Campo. Not really out of Casa de Campo because that, that name hasn't been mentioned, but really out of the Dominican Republic. And I love the people of the Dominican Republic, and I'm very fond of the place. I, I was married in the Dominican Republic. Uh, you know my fondness of Casa de Campo. I have never felt anything but safe and welcomed by, by not only your resort, but the people. And I think that's an important, important narrative to, to, to change that, you know, Casa de Campo is, is just an exceptional place and, and people uh, will feel nothing but warmth and embrace coming to Casa de Campo. That's right. Yeah, the uh, it is unfortunate the news uh, that's been going on, and the you know the truth about traveling is um, you should always take precautions when you travel, no matter where you're going. Um, and it's very sad that those that those folks and those families had issues. But to your point, no Casa de Campo, we've had we've had uh, no trouble. I mean, coming to Casa de Campo, you're in you're in a five star resort. Um, we're really a little city. Uh, inside of um, the Dominican Republic. But just to give you an idea, I mean, we've had Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton was just here, and, you know, he's not going to go anywhere that's unsafe. And and on the on a personal side of it, like I live here with my wife and my child, you know, and we, we live life just like any, any family would be, and we're not going to put ourselves in a situation that's unsafe. So, yeah, it is, uh, to your point, I never thought I'd use the term fake news, but it is. You know, a lot of the reporting needs to, you need to check pre-existing conditions of some of these folks. And although it is very sad, but um, we're one of the safest destinations uh, that there is. So if, if any person who wants to travel, you need to check the risk. You need to be aware of where you are and what you're doing and uh, what you're eating and where you're, where you're hanging out. But we're, we're one of the safest places. We've had no issues and, um, we look forward to welcoming everybody uh, this fall and this winter. And I know I've got a bunch of Canadian friends that are members of the PGA of Canada that are bringing groups down over the winter and the fall, so they're excited to get there. And uh, As you know, I love the place, and I'll see you at uh, some point over the winter, probably into uh, 2020. But last time I was there, uh, there was a great event, Tar Heels event, uh, NCAA golf tournament, which was just tremendous. And I actually got the opportunity to go out and watch some of these uh, players, which were just incredible to follow around some of the ladies uh, that ended up going on to do some great things this year. But uh, what are the highlights for you this year in terms of golf at Casa de Campo? Because I'm sure that's got to be one of them, but you've had such a great year. I just uh, wanted to recap to see, you know, what, what were the highlights for you maybe personally and, and maybe for the club? Sure. To, to just first talk, touch on uh, what you mentioned, we did. We hosted the Susie Whaley, who's a uh, Tar Heel Classic, and Susie, as many of you know, is the president of the PGA of America. They were down in March. I think there were, oh, maybe 
12 universities or so competing. But, uh, yeah, Jennifer Kupcha was um, the number one ranked amateur lady in the world at the time, and she actually won the tournament. And uh, many of the folks listening may know her name because she won the inaugural Augusta National Women's Invitational. Uh, and now she's on the LPGA Tour uh, doing well. So that was really exciting. That that tournament was fantastic. And having all those top universities here playing Teeth of the Dog, that, the ladies loved it. The coaches loved it. Um, all the parents and followers just had a great time. And that was a... That was a what our largest ladies amateur event. Um, in January, we hosted the uh, the second our second Latin America amateur championship. It's the first time that they've uh, repeated a venue. They repeated a, at Casa de Campo, which is the top amateurs in Latin America. Um, and we had uh, fantastic golf. The first time, uh, the first year we hosted it was in 2016. And the lowest score was, the winning score, I believe, was three under par. And this year, the scores were, I believe, 14 under par. And it just shows you how much better these players get. I mean, these are the top players in the world. They just happen to be from Latin America. And, uh, we, it was a, it was a fantastic event. That event is run by the USGA, the RNA, and the Masters Tournament, which is the only tournament in the world that is run by all three leading organizations in golf. Um, so that was a, an unbelievable experience to, to be the host of that venue, the host of that tournament, and um, we look forward to working with them in the future. As far as some of the other uh, events we had this, this past winter, we continued our Winter Pro-Am Series where we have – uh, golf professionals from from local clubs all over the United States, Canada, uh, Latin America that come to Casa de Campo for a week's Pro-Am tournament with three members. Uh, those are always a ton of fun. Uh, you get to meet people in the golf industry from all over the place, and the teams interact with each other and make friends, and, and that's really what these events are about. I mean, obviously you want to play well, but it's just who you meet through golf that is what Casa de Campo and what is so special to me about being a part of of, uh, of golf and having these folks come down is the relationships that you can build throughout the years. And um, we look forward to running these events through next uh, through this winter coming up and into next spring as well. And I think the last part of your question was some of the we have been we continue to work and make Casa de Campo better not only in golf but around the resort. Um, in golf, we we work with we have a golf course uh, con- consultant company. We work with Jerry Pate Design. Jerry Pate, as you know, may have he won the U.S. Open and the Players Championship. Uh, he studied under Pete Dye, who's our original um, designer. And we've worked on leveling tees. We've worked on drainage. We worked on uh, cart path improvements, uh, tree improvements, airflow, uh, just to make the playing conditions of our golf courses uh, better. So. Um, you know, I think the people that were here last year are going to come this year and say, oh, wow, you can really see the difference, which is the same thing that happened the year before. And we continue to make improvements. We have a plan for the next two years out so far uh, of improvements that we're going to make and because uh, that's our goal. You know, we, we're continuing to make our golf product better and make the experience for our guests better. 
Well, you certainly do that. Every time I'm there, I see the improvements from the time before, and it's hard to improve because it's already pretty spectacular. Uh, <laughs> teeth, teeth of the dog is obviously the one that everybody talks about, and, and rightfully so. But uh, a die for is is probably got my five, uh, excuse me, my favorite nine holes on the entire property is probably on die for, and the, and the links is a fun golf course. So you've got lots of golf options. And uh, later on this season, I'd love to touch base with the gentleman who operates your uh, practice facility and training center, performance center. I can't believe the changes there. That was actually the one that struck me, Robert, the last time I was down with the investment in uh, the the training facility and the available. Uh, Availability to get custom fit and take a proper lesson and work on your game at that practice center. It was just jaw dropping. So, uh, and I know that's part of the offer there as well. It's not just great food, great accommodations, perfect weather, great golf, but there's also the opportunity to get instruction and clinics and work on your game and get the best of that, which is rare sometimes in, in your part of the world. And you guys have really put a big uh, step forward in that. So, Hopefully our Canadian listeners, I know, again, we have a lot of PGA Canada people bringing groups down over the winter, uh, but it's also available for just if you want to book a group uh, uh, and bring uh, 8, 12, 16, or just go with a buddy or couples, it's casadecampbell.com.do. That's casadecampbell.com.do is the address. Robert, why, why the fall, winter? I've always been down November through, I'm going to say March, or is kind of the time that I've always visited Casa de Campo. And i got to be honest with you, from November to March, it seems to be 86 degrees Fahrenheit and sunny every day with a light breeze. It's like, I don't know if you're programming the weather or you have made a deal with somebody above, but it's absolutely perfect golf conditions. It's just never too hot, never cold, just the lightest breeze. Is that just the norm for that time of year? It is. It's actually the norm pretty much year-round. We uh, A fantastic time to visit. I mean, obviously, those times are perfect because the winter, the weather up at uh, where most of your folks are listening from is quite chilly. But even into June, June and July, and we actually have a big pro-am coming up in August uh, where we have 110 players, 22 teams uh, competing, and the weather is just as good in the summer as it is in the fall, in the winter. So there's not a bad time to come down here. Um, obviously, in the summer, there's far less people. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're very blessed. Uh, we're very blessed with the weather. You don't get a lot of rain, so your golf isn't impeded. Your, uh, there's always a nice ocean breeze, no matter if it's from the north or the south. And um, obviously the the wind can blow a little bit as it does in the Caribbean, but it's uh, it's the way the Pete Dye designed the golf courses to play with the wind. So that breeze feels good. And, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. You can't beat it. Well, often when you talk about Caribbean golf, you say, well, it's some of the best golf in the Caribbean. But when you talk about Casa de Campo, it's simply some of the best golf in the world. I hold up these golf courses uh, to anywhere I've played golf on the planet. And, and to me, that's part of what makes the golf uh, very special at Casa de Campo, along with the complete experience. Robert, we will touch base uh, with you and your team over the winter. I will see you hopefully early in 2020. And uh, maybe I'll get a Golf Talk Canada team to down to one of these pro-ams over the winter. I think that might be fun. So uh, casadecampo.com.do, casadecampo.com. .do is the website address. Robert, thanks so much for taking the time with me today. Mark, thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you soon. 
This segment of GTC presented by Acura was brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach. No destination in the world can match Myrtle Beach's volume of golf, quality, and value. Come discover why Myrtle Beach is the golf capital of the world. To plan your next golf holiday, visit PlayGolfMyrtleBeach.com. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Acura. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Cedar Bray Golf Club. Only 30 minutes from downtown Toronto, with flexible membership packages and one of Canada's top 100 golf courses. Cedar Bray is the place to be. Visit cedarbraygolf.com for more information. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sacchino and Bob Weeks. Welcome back inside a special best of edition of Golf Talk Canada. Producer Adam Scully riding solo here. Both Mark and Bob will be back in studio for Golf Talk Canada TV and radio next week. Well, how about Brooke Henderson? What a year she's had. She's now the all-time winningest Canadian professional golfer. Quite a feat for Brooke Henderson at just 21 years old. And now she's getting set to defend her title at the CP Women's Open. That's coming up in just a couple weeks. And recently, uh, Bob had a chance to go one-on-one with Brooke to look back at her year and look ahead to what's to come. All right, Brooke Henderson, it's been almost a year since that uh, majestic victory. And uh, you've obviously talked about it a lot. You've been asked about it a lot. You've thought about it a lot. But when you go back now a year, is there anything unusual that stands out about that anything small that stands out about that win in your memory bank um to be honest i think the whole week was just so special you know to go out and shoot two minus sixes right out of the gate thursday friday and be so close to the top of the leaderboard come the weekend was just so exciting and you know that was success for me already you know being at this near the top of the leaderboard leading the event going into the final round i was like wow this is really cool and even if i never get back to this chance uh this is something that i'll remember and then but i also didn't want to give up on that opportunity because i knew it was a special one so you know i just tried to go out sunday and make something special happen and something special really did happen you know to be able to hoist that trophy to have my family friends cp all there to support me on the 18th green and you know last year was a tough year for my family you know losing both my grandfathers and in saskatchewan you know the humble uh, broncos with that huge bus disaster uh i think it was really special for the province of saskatchewan to have that really cool victory and to celebrate with all their fans all right so a year later you're coming back to magna golf club uh closer to home for you what do you do for an encore (laughs) i know i've been thinking about that actually um but i'm really excited to be back in ontario a little bit closer to home uh to be defending champion of our national open that sounds really awesome and you know i'm just hopefully come here get a good strategy um the week of put in some good practice, get the proper rest that I need going into the event and, you know, hopefully put some good scores up on the board and put myself in in a position where I can do something special on Saturday, Sunday. All right, since that time, you've also won twice, eight and nine, the majestic number nine. Now, when you won number nine, you were talking about being nervous coming down the stretch, and I wanted to ask you, were you nervous because it was just in the situation you were winning a tournament, or was the ninth victory on your mind? <laughs> yeah, definitely on my mind. Uh, you know, I love that Meyer LPJ Classic. It's really a special event. You know, I won it in 2017 as well, and it was Father's Day, which made it even a little bit more uh, special. Um, but, you know, just coming down the stretch, I knew there was a ton of players really close to the lead and if I didn't 
make par in the last hole, you know, I would have had a four-way playoff, I guess. So I was just trying to make sure I didn't do anything stupid. And for some reason, you know, I think thinking that I was breaking this record and getting my ninth win on the LPJ Tour, which is unreal, I just had a little more nerves than I normally do, and I wasn't sure what was happening. But I was able to calm them enough to get the job done and make par on 18. You're 21 years old, and you've you've already broken records that took people their careers to set. Uh, Sandra and George and Mike and um, I mean have you ever stopped to wonder why you're able to do that why you're so good at this age uh, you know I, I'm so grateful um, my family my mom my dad have sacrificed so much for my sister and I to live this journey to have my sister by my side every single day um, is incredible and we have so much fun together and I, I think you know there's something special and I'm just hopefully I can ride it out as long as I can you know win a bunch more times put myself in contention be a part of something amazing like CP has heart and be able to give back to the communities and to help young kids like Kyle who's the child ambassador this year for this event I think I'm in a really amazing place right now and I just hope I can keep it going with the U.S. Open this year, we were talking to Nick Taylor, and he mentioned the fact that he was inspired by you winning that ninth time. Adam Hadwin has said he's just, he thinks you're just amazing. <laughs> Mike Weir talks about it. Sandra Post, I know, mentioned that, you know, she said there was no way my record was ever going to stand again. When you think about that, when you think about you're the face of, of this, this tournament, when you think about the impact you have on lives like the CP Child Ambassador here and all those kind of things. Does it ever get a little bit overwhelming? <laughs> a little bit. Uh, it's sort of hard to believe sometimes. You know, I'm just trying to be a better person and a better golfer every single day and trying to push myself to be the best that I can be. And, you know, I have small goals along the way and winning tournaments are definitely among those. And, you know, hopefully I can just, like I said, continue on this trend, winning multiple times a year um, and putting myself in positions where I can move my Rolex ranking up a little bit, my CME rank, get it close to that number one spot, and just keep on improving. And I think if I can help inspire the younger generation, that'd be pretty cool too. Congratulations, and we'll see you in, uh, in August. Cool. Thanks, Bobby. Now a big part of Henderson's team is her family and her father, Dave Henderson. Bob also had a chance to speak with her father. When you look back a year ago to, or almost a year ago, down to uh, what, what happened at Wascana, what goes through your mind? Uh, well, Wascana was such a momentous occasion, um, you know, and it was such a surreal experience, and someday we'll sit down and reflect upon it uh, more. But setting goals uh, for this year, um, you know, Brooke looked at, uh, you know, not just tying the record, but uh, maybe someday move ahead of it. And, um, you know, for Brooks' goals, we tend to be more process-oriented, and if the accolades and trophies come at the end, uh, we look at it as a bonus. But, uh, you know, the process skills of working hard, determination, perseverance, uh, you know, working on something and potting or chipping, and um, like I say, in the end, uh, um, I hear Brooke talk about her scoring average. That would be you know, sort of a mini goal. If you win the VAR-A trophy on the LP, PGA, um, you know, you're going to be pretty close to some of your bigger goals. This this year, I mean, two years ago we were in Ottawa, crowds were ridiculous, huge. Uh, same thing last year in Wiscana. How much, how much do you and Brooke talk about handling the crowds, handling the week that is so different this week, uh, even for a superstar like her? Well, you know, it is tremendous pressure, and uh, for, for 
athletes can go one of two ways. Um, you know, he can either embrace it and be a Kawhi Leonard and go to the top, or your muscles and you can get like Jello and not use the adrenaline and the norepinephrine and all the internal chemicals to your advantage. And Brooke is one of those people that are able to feel the crowd and sense it out. But at the Ottawa Hunt um, that year, she felt tremendous pressure. She'd never seen 5,000 people in a hole. Uh, you know, and there for her, and she felt tremendous pressure to do well. And then, with the constant uh, barrage before and after from everyone, uh, she had to make birdie on the 36 hole to, just to make the cut. And once that pressure was off a little bit, then she was able to go out and break the course record the following day and get back in the tournament. I think she ended up 12th uh, at the Ottawa Hunt. But it is tremendous pressure, and it's nobody's fault it's not the public's fault they're there to try to support it's not the media's fault it's just it is tremendous pressure to win on home soil is is she getting each time though she goes through that and, and what major championships she's getting better at it she's learning from it she seems like she's a fast learner and those kind of things yeah you, you know um Brooke moves along at every level with tremendous warp speed and uh, you know Toronto Raptors won this year, um, Toronto Maple Leafs are trying to win and they're putting things together but uh, hopefully Brooke does pick up enough uh, um, you know inside skills to understand that uh, you can't always get across the line but to try to embrace it the best you can. What have you guys been working on this year so far that, uh, that you, you're pleased with and seeing the improvements? Well, uh, first and foremost, Brooke uh, often says her driver's her number one club and it puts her in play um, and gives her the best po possibilities. But then going down the line, you know, she works in her ball striking a lot, knowing that, uh, you know, the Tiger Woods approach is that you, nothing but hard work there, knowing your numbers. Um, and then your scoring clubs, you know, Brooke's tried to work hard on her wedges and her putting. You know, there, there'd be people that think she can improve there. Um, we look at it like it comes and goes a little bit. She's got nine wins. She's the winningest golfer of all time in Canada. Uh, we all wish more putts would go in, but we know the greatest putters on the PGA from from 23 feet on a flat surface only make it 15% of the time. So it is a, a difficult sport. Um, but uh, you know, just strategizing and working on grains of grass. You know, we play on zoysia, we play on bent, uh, we play on uh, Bermuda, and uh, understanding. You know, how those um, different uh, grass conditions, you know, with all the other variables that golf brings into effect, uh, affects it. And Brooks able to go from one course to the next and from one country to the next and be successful, uh, understanding you have to play differently um, at each venue. Are you looking forward to opening another bottle of champagne in Spranger? <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, the, the more the better. But uh, we try not to put pressure on Brooke. And, you know, if she gets it across the line, then we'll bring out the champagne. Even if it's expensive. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Bob. This segment of GTC, presented by Acura, was brought to you by Cedar Bray Golf Club. Only 30 minutes from downtown Toronto, with flexible membership packages and one of Canada's top 100 golf courses. Cedar Bray is the place to be. Visit cedarbraygolf.com for more information.
This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Acura. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Adidas Golf and the all-new Addy Power Forged. Increase stability exactly where you need it. Visit adidasgolf.ca. Adidas, geared for more. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sakito and Bob Weeks. Welcome back inside a special best-of edition of Golf Talk Canada. Producer Adam Scully riding solo here this morning. Both Bob and Mark will be back next week. We recently taped an episode of GTC TV back in late June at Woodington Lake Golf Club in Tottenham, Ontario, the site of the first ever Ontario Disability Golf Championship. That goes August 24th to 26th, and then the 96th Ontario Open Championship from August 26th to 28th. I had a chance to go one-on-one with Golf Ontario Executive Director Mike Kelly for a little preview. Mike, how are you this morning? I'm great. How about you? I am marvelous. The weather is getting better, and it is a good time to be a golf fan. Uh, Mike, as you know, our episode of Golf Talk Canada TV was taped this week at Woodington Lake uh, Golf Club in Tottenham, Ontario, the site of the first-ever Ontario Disability Golf Championship, August 24th, 26th, and the 96th Ontario Open Championship just after that, August 26th. Um, What is your excitement level? First of all, let's start here uh, with the Ontario Open Championship. Just what's your excitement? level around that yeah it's uh it's pretty exciting to you know i'm not i'm not gonna lie it's uh this has been a long time coming and uh you know it's been played in over 30 years so it's uh it's got quite the history to the event uh some of the champions include you know sam steed and mo norman george newton um you know and uh and it's being played at a wonderful golf course um, with wonderful new owners at the golf course that have really allowed this to, to happen. So we had our media day there on Tuesday, and, and the boys from Golf Talk Canada were there uh, live on location and taping that show. So it was, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of excitement building around it. People are qualifying as we speak today in uh, at Riverbend Golf Club in London. So they, uh, and we have a number of qualifiers still to come. So it's uh, um, a lot of excitement. And, and, you know, in a really renewed, um, you know, sense of, of really joy bringing this event back after 30 years. One thing that stuck out to me there, and I'm sure it will have stuck out to the listeners tuning in, is it's the first time it's being played uh, in 30 years. Uh, just, if you can, walk us through how that came to be uh, with the 30-year gap to sort of uh, have it back coming up uh, this August. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, it certainly predates uh, my time with Golf Ontario, but mm-hmm. you know, I think at the end of the day, right, you, you, it takes partners, uh, you know, to make an event like this happen. It's uh, it's an open event, right? So it's it's an event that both amateurs, PGA professionals, and tour touring pros can play in. So it's uh, that's kind of really neat um, aspect of this event is it really brings the golf industry together in Ontario for kind of your last major of the year. We're calling it kind of take a you know, uh, take something for the PGA. And, you know, when it was in August, you know, it's kind of glorious last shot in Ontario. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you know, I think with new ownership at Woodington Lake and, and these owners are, um, are breathing some, some fresh air in, into, into the golf space. Uh, they, they, uh, uh, they spend most of their time in, you know, running restaurants and buildings and, and things of that nature. And I think, you know, what really is going to allow this event to really, uh, be something special is is what actually happens outside the ropes as well. Uh, you know, there's it's going to be a special experience for all the for all the competitors who play uh, in both events. And you know, I, I'd say at the end of the the, the day, it, it was really um, that partnership. Our, our 
um, our desire to bring this back and their desire to have an event to really showcase their facility and their plans, um, you know, in developing and, and bringing that, uh, their, their facility uh, and their golf course to another level. We're in conversation with Mike Kelly, the executive director of Golf Ontario, discussing the 96th Ontario Open Championship uh, coming up uh, this August. Now, you, you touched on it there a little earlier. A, a number of qualifiers have either already happened or are just around the corner. C- can you, if you can, walk us through what the qualifying sort of schedule is right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, as I said, uh, today uh, we have uh, a you know, significant number of people down in London at Riverbend Golf Club qualifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have qualifiers happening next week in, in Ottawa, uh, Woodington Lake, which is, I believe, July the 6th, uh, and a chance there to try to qualify and get another practice round in um, at Woodington Lake. And mm-hmm. then the final qualifier is July 24th. Um, which is at Glendale, uh, just at Hamilton there. So there are, there are um, spots available in each one of those uh, qualifiers. So to, to register, um, again, uh, anybody can play. Uh, you can be a junior golfer and, and register to play in the event. Um, you, know, you can be a senior amateur or a pro, as I, I, as I had said. So um, you go to the Ontario, the Ontario Open.ca, um, and you go through uh, the the process of just registering for one of those qualifying sites, and then uh, give it a go and and see what happens. At, at the end of the day, uh, seventy. So there's 144 people mm-hmm. that will be in this field, mm-hmm. uh, in the championship field. 75 players will come from the qualifiers. 75 players will be exempted through uh, exemptions. We provide the PGA Tour Canada McKenzie Tour uh, through our amateur events and championships, as well as the PGA. Uh, yeah, championships in Ontario, so it's uh, it's going to be a, an incredible mix of of golfers at all levels, um, and uh, it should be a ton of fun. And and if, if, was I reading this right that there's a purse of uh, forty thousand dollars? Just how how great is that too? Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Again, that's 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 thanks to uh, the the ownership of Winnington Lake. I mean, they've. Um, you know, I really, that's what it comes down to in providing an open and it being a, you know, a professional event. You need to have a purse and, uh, $40,000 is, will be the largest, uh, professional event in Ontario, really outside of, of a PGA Tour Canada event. So it's, um, you know, so it's, and we hope to grow that. Uh, that is definitely the intention of, of, um, all involved is to grow that and, and really make it a premier championship that has high impact. Um, you know, both on on uh, on the amateurs, but also on on the the young pros. And you know, when you look at some of the people that have that will be playing, you know, I wanted to to tell tell your listeners a little bit about Josh Whalen. Mm-hmm. So Josh Whalen's on the national team. Um, he's part of our provincial team. And Josh um, is you know, there's a, a very strong chance that that Josh may be turning professional around that time. And that the Ontario Open would be his first event. Um, so we provided Josh an exemption um, as part of the national Great. team, and and you know so there's there's going to be stories like that that I think um, you know really bring to the forefront you know why an event like this is so important. Well, and and Josh could join you know if, if he does do well and does have a chance to win, he could join past winners like you mentioned, Sam Snead, Mo Norman, George Knudsen. Mike, this is simply one of the most historic events in Canada in golf, and and it's meant so much to so many people, hasn't it? Yeah, it is actually one of the oldest over championships in the world. I mean, we're talking when we and the the neat thing is we have the cup from nineteen, you know, circa nineteen twenty ish, <laughs> and. Uh, 
So it is, it's historic. It just hasn't been played in a number of years. So it's, uh, it, it is uh, remarkable, the number of winners. Like another tidbit for you, Sam, uh, not Sam Seed, sorry, Lee Trevino played in this in, I believe, 1960, 1962, something like that, mm-hmm. and finished fifth. Wow. Um, wow. And uh, she made $1,000 for that fifth place finish <laughs> in 19, awesome. you know, in the early 1960s. So, That's and amazing. We're learning as we go um, about some of the, the, the people that have played and some of the stories around this have, that, that go back so many, so many years. We're in conversation with uh, Mike Kelly, the executive director of Golf Ontario. And yes, this Ontario Open Championship is going on in August. But just before that, there's also another very exciting tournament, and that's the first ever Ontario Disability Golf Championship. Mike, just what's the excitement level around that at this point? Wow, that's uh, it's kind of blown our minds, to be honest with you, the response to bringing this uh, event uh, onto the schedule. And this is this has been... Uh, you know, I think this 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 conversation, um, which is where it kind of began, started kind of around the Invictus Games, mm-hmm. um, and just looking at what a golf competition can do um, as a platform to helping you know uh, th- that that community, and and we felt that, that as part of our new kind of strategic plan that we needed to have more of a role and 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 be more um, supportive to uh, to all golfers, and so that's where this kind of event was born. So it, it is going to be the very first uh, world-ranked uh, event for golfers with a disability in, you know, in Canada. So that is pretty cool. Uh, it's not often you get to do something like that. So, but you know, we're going to be learning as we go here, so it won't be a big, big field to start. Uh, we'll be no more than 60 players. Um, and so just to kind of walk you through you know, what does it mean to be a world-ranked event? Well, we actually are bringing a, a classifier. So a classifier is coming from Europe, um, and the classifier actually has to, you know, kind of check the box that, um, you know, if you say that you have a physical disability, he will um, kind of classify you that, yes, you are, and and that you can get world-ranked ranking points based on your finish. Uh, so uh, so th- there's that element to it. And, and, you know, the neat thing is that, the new rules code that has, that came out in 2019 right. does cover off four different categories when it comes to disabilities. Hmm. Um, you know, so it covers off uh, the physical side, the cognitive side, uh, visual and emotional. So there's it, all these golfers can compete together, which is really neat, and it's going to be you know a very um, again I said it's going to be a very impactful event as a platform to to hopefully um, really inspire. You know the the golf industry to continue to to work together and provide opportunities for all golfers to get into the. Yeah, it's going to be super inspiring. I I can't wait to to tune in and and hopefully get there in person to see some of it. And if I'm understanding this correctly, there's a low gross and no net for both men and women. Is that correct? Uh, so yeah, so it's I mean again it's open event, so anybody can play. Uh, there will be a gross champion. Um, there will be a net champion, which I think is really important because. Um, again, it's a, the spectrum is very broad, and we want to provide you know an opportunity uh, for somebody who's you know for those top level um, you know golfers to to win a gross level championship, similar to how we run most of our championships, but also on the net side, uh, you know. So I think it really caters to the um, you know to that broader spectrum of, of golfer with um, for those with a disability, and I think that we'll learn as we go here. I think that's probably just as important so we'll we will learn a lot this year 
Yeah. Um, we'll make whatever tweaks are necessary to continuing, to, you know, to continue um, improving that event and um, and making it what what we believe is our goal is to make that one of the the biggest, um, you know, golf events for golfers with disability in the world. Oh, um, and uh, it will be ranked uh, this year. So lots of lots of positives there as well. And and so it's kind of part of this open week, which was this vision to start with that. You know, it was open, both professionals, amateurs, and then you add this disabilities piece onto it. To me, it's a home run. A home run for sure. And and you just caught on our, right on to my next question. Uh, you know, both of these tournaments are going on at Woodington Lake uh, Golf Club. Uh, was that the major factor to try to get both of them at the same time to sort of promote it that way? Or, or was there another uh, reason behind that? No. I mean, when we started talking about this event with them, you know, this was... This was part of the conversation from the very beginning, and they've been unbelievably supportive um, in in this, you know, as part of bringing back the Ontario Open. This is just as important to, to the to the new owners of Woodington Lake uh, to be part of of you know providing a, you know positive experiences for golfers. And, and you know, for the media day, they they hosted this first kind of industry event there, and they had all different partners and restaurants and i honestly have never experienced the types of food i had yam ice cream at. Like, who's had yam ice cream like wow. it was those are the types of things actually competitors are going to see and experience that they've never seen before and and you know that we've been able to attract a number of partners uh that the town of tottenham has been unbelievable um in terms of you know long-term partnerships as well as um Jewel Radio and TaylorMade, and, and we've got, and it goes, the list goes on and on. Um, you know, so I'll, there's a lot of people that are, that want to get connected into this, and, uh, and you know, and, and it will again, as I said, it will, it will grow, and, and there's two golf courses at Whittington Lake, so there's a legacy course and a, a legends course, so one, the, the disabilities will play one, and, and the open will play the other, and, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Amazing. I, I can't wait to, to be there and, and watch these two great tournaments, uh, that's for sure. Now, Mike, before we let you go, it is Canada Day weekend, so we got to ask you, there's been a lot of great moments in Canadian golf so far uh, in 2019. Uh, if you could pick one, what would be your favorite moment? Wow, I'm going to shock you here, because this Ooh. is something that uh, I had, there is, so my, first of all, um, you know, it was, I'm a Tiger fan, so yep. it was pretty, I, I'm pretty sure I cried. <laughs> oh, me too. Uh, not going to oh, yeah. lie. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, but well, Corey winning the Valero Texas Open yeah. kind of ties into my favorite um, kind of moment of Canadian golf. So Corey, as you know, got the one of the very final spots into the Open Championship. Mm-hmm. Well, I had the opportunity to tell him that. Really? So we, one of my former staff members is in player relations with the RNA now. Yeah. And so she called me to say, hey, Corey's getting the final spot, um, one of the final spots, because there are a couple here in Detroit this week, but... Um, how would you like to tell him wow. so that he's playing in his very first? So this is will be his first Open Championship, mm-hmm. and I and I thought that was one of the coolest things. So I called Corey down in down in uh, just before he stepped out for the pro am and got to give him the good news. And uh, honestly, that was a very cool thrill to to do that. I've you know I have a very good relationship with Corey and, and a number of guys and, and gals that have come up through our programs and 
And uh, those relationships are incredibly meaningful to me. And to be able to tell Corey that is definitely the highlight of my, of getting a golf this year for me. Oh, that's amazing. That's a great story. Well, Mike, uh, it's a very exciting time coming up for Golf Ontario. Thanks so much for taking some time this morning. And uh, good luck as these championships uh, get closer. Well, thank you very much again for having me on. You have me on almost, seems like, every couple of months. And we appreciate our partnership with, uh, with the Golf Talk Canada. And, uh, you know, have a great rest of the show. Thank you, sir. That was uh, Mike Kelly, the executive director uh, of Golf Ontario. The 96th Ontario Open gets underway August 26th, and the first ever Ontario Disability Golf Championship August 24th. This segment of GTC presented by Acura was brought to you by Adidas Golf and the all-new Addy Power Forged. Increased stability exactly where you need it. Visit adidasgolf.ca. Adidas, geared for more. This segment of Golf Talk Canada, presented by Acura, is brought to you by the Muskoka Bay Club. Live, stay, and play at our award-winning championship golf course. Visit MuskokaBayResort.com today. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sacchino and Bob Weeks. Welcome back inside our special best of edition of Golf Talk Canada. Producer Adam Scully riding solo this morning. Wrapping up this morning's show with one final interview. Canadian Adam Hadwin was the only Canuck to make the cut at the Open Championship at Royal Port Rush. And shortly after his final round, Bob had a chance to speak with him. Adam Hadwin, four rounds in the books. Let's deal with the fourth round before we talk about the overall performance. But how did you feel about uh, the round today? A little bit windier, tougher conditions, and a different uh, course out there. Yeah, um, it started off, I mean, compared to what it is right now, quite nicely. Um, but yeah, again, uh, got off to a great start. Played some terrible golf in the middle and kind of scrambled my way through the finish. So um, there are some positives, I think, to take away from this week, um, but certainly a little disappointed and per- perform better here. Third uh, Open Championship, and as you said, most of the week you've been learning more and more about links every time you come over here. What does it tell you about your game on this kind of golf course? Well, I think that I can fit my game to to kind of whatever golf course we play. Um, I think the only one that I might struggle with is the the bomb and gouge. The we got to bomb it as far as you can, but um, I really enjoy the the creativity you have to have um, here and. Um, I, I, I just enjoy my time over here. I really enjoy the golf, and um, like I said, I just wish I would have had to play a little bit better. You've actually taken some time, I know, to go and tour around a little bit here and see some of the sites. That's not something you do week in and week out. How different is that, and how fun is that? Well, I just, uh, you know, we don't often get to come to parts of the world like this. You know, I feel like in the States, we go to the same tournaments year after year. We see the same things. Um, so when we do get a chance to come to different parts of the world, you got to see a few things i mean i'm not sure when i'm going to be back in northern ireland um so it, w- it was a lot of fun um you know just a, a great country to come see and like i said i really enjoyed my time thank you so much for listening this morning and remember the first good decision on the golf course it always starts in the closet thank you for listening this segment of gtc presented by acura was brought to you by the muskoka bay club live stay and play at our award-winning championship golf course visit muskokabayresort.com today thank you for listening don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at golf talk canada for blogs podcasts show archives our youtube channel or for more information visit us online at golftalkcanada.com.